welcome to the Badass Lady Folk. I'm your host, Christine Stoddard. Thank you so much for watching or listening, whether it's on Manhattan Neighborhood Network or Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm really happy to welcome my guest today, Andy Fuentes. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. So Andy, my dear viewers, is in my play Mia Abuela, Queen of Nightmares, currently at the Tank Theater in New York City through October 1st. Andy, I'm going to try something that one of my professors at Columbia recently taught me, okay. which, <laughs> which is to start a conversation like this, even, even in a like talk show format, right? where I ask, what is it that I need to know about you in order to understand what makes you uniquely you? It's a lot of yous. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and a big question too. Um, I would say what you need to know to understand me is that I feel like everything that I have gone through as a human and as an artist has just motivated me more to not only be better in my life but also just create more art i don't know like i feel like everything that's happened has just motivated me more to want to make art that tells a human story and to like just understand people better um i've been very blessed to go to a lot of different places in my life whether it's living or school and I've met a lot of different people, and I feel like all of that has just kind of made me want to continue to explore and continue to tell stories that not only reflect who I am, but just how humans interact with each other and how we can be good. So, yeah. Beautiful. So I know you as a performer, and I'm curious how you came to theater, how you came to storytelling, uh, film, any other kinds of acting that you do, and what it is you love about acting. I've been acting since I was a really little girl. Um, I would put on plays. I would make my abuelos pay to watch. Um, <laughs> what yeah. did you charge them? Like five pesos, not much. <laughs> but you know, I still was making a pretty good living. Um, but yeah, so I've been acting since I was a very small child, but I'm the only performer in my family. Both of my parents are engineers with masters. My sister's an engineer. So I've never been good at math. I've never been good at science. I was always kind of the black sheep in the family in that way. They're also all very like shy and reserved, and I was never like that. I was always just trying to be the center of attention and wanting to just do things that people would watch. So yeah, and then in high school, um, I realized that this was something that I wanted to do more seriously because up until then, my parents never really took it seriously when I said that I wanted to do this. You know, it was just kind of like a hobby that I did after school. But in high school, um, I realized that this was something that I probably could do for the rest of my life. So I started taking a college prep class to go to theater school. And yeah, I went to two different colleges to study acting. And Which ones? Brag a little. I went to, right after high school, I went to a school in New Mexico called Santa Fe University of Art and Design, and it was the best school ever. I loved it so much, but halfway through my freshman year, they announced that they were going bankrupt. And Whoa. Yeah, so they basically told us all to pack our bags and that we would not be coming back for the rest forever, never again. So I had made so many best friends there. I loved, I love New Mexico. I love Santa Fe. I would go hiking every weekend. Um, 
but yeah, so I transferred to the University of Oklahoma, which was always kind of my dream school because a girl that I went, when I was a freshman in high school, she was a senior, she went to OU, and I just thought that she was like the most amazing performer ever. I was one of the only, I was the only girl that wasn't white in my grade in high school and she, in theater, and she was that way in her senior class, so I was like, I need to go where you go. And so I followed her footsteps, I went to OU, and yeah, um, COVID hit, but I graduated and I stayed in Oklahoma for a bit, and that's when I started acting professionally. Um, I worked a lot with a company called Oklahoma Shakespeare. They believed in me. I felt like college kind of really burnt me out um, acting-wise. Yeah, but, that's a common feeling among artists. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a lot. Um, but Oklahoma Shakespeare, I felt like, really gave me the confidence that I needed to keep going and not give up. So, yeah, I went there, and then I just moved to New York. It'll be one year next month. So... In October or November? Yeah, October 3rd. We'll be Whoa! Yay, yeah, <laughs> you did it. I did you survived. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. I feel like I just moved here yesterday. I like have pictures my first few weeks here. Like It was nothing but my mattress on my floor. <laughs> like I still need a nightstand. There's stuff that I need to do, but um, it's been a really good year. Oh, well, I'm so happy for you. That's mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and you're in this main stage production. Mm -hmm. Fiamma Piancentini, who I've had on the show, is our wonderful director. And she and I just loved you during the audition. Oh, yeah, we you. were blown away. Yeah, <laughs> all the stereotypes, all the gorgeous <laughs> words, like that one, that one. <laughs> Why do you think that you stand out? Why do you think you want to stand out? Like you talked about wanting attention as a kid, right? Mm -hmm. Wanting to be at the center of it all. So what is it do you think that distinguishes you? I think something I've always been very good at is being in touch of my feelings and being able to access them there very well. Not just in theater and performance, but also in real life. I've never been someone that's uncomfortable by crying or by talking about how we feel. Um, and I feel like that has set me apart from other performers. I remember in school we would do a lot of exercises and some of my friends would just have a lot of trouble accessing like those parts of ourselves that you know you don't want to share in real life at moments, but on stage sometimes you have to. And I feel like that's never really been an issue for me. I feel like the more I talk about my feelings and the more that I'm honest with myself about what makes me sad and what makes me angry, I think has just put me forward in a lot of places in my life and also just created more authentic relationships. Cause I'm, I'm very honest about like what I want. Like if I, my partner I'm dating now, like from our very first date, I was like, I want this to be official. And he was <laughs> like, I just met you last week. And I'm like, no, I like feel, I feel good about this. You know? <laughs> So I've always been very, um, yeah, I've just always been not shy, I guess, to just say what my heart wants and what um, makes me feel good and not makes me feel good. So I think that that's just something that I want to encourage people to do, too, because I feel like a lot of times people don't say what is really happening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's just not good to hold in because I feel like I've, hold in, I've held in a lot of stuff. And then I just blow up. So I, I try to not do that anymore. I just try to really, you know, show those parts that we're afraid to show sometimes, both in real life and on stage. So 
Yeah, I, I mean... I think some of that holding it in is because of capitalism, and that's something I always come back to yeah. <laughs> on this show and in life, right? It's just like, put your head down, get the work done, don't get the boss mad, <laughs> that kind of mentality. Yeah. And people being scared about having to survive, right? Like mm -hmm. having these very necessary material concerns, like we have to make money, we have to pay the yeah. rent, we which is understandable. I get it. Yeah. We all get it. But would you attribute anything in particular in your early life to this kind of vulnerability or at least this want for vulnerability? I think um, I think also my culture kind of really played a part in that because I remember the first time that I was really honest with my parents about like not feeling great was when that first university I went to shut down. I fell into a really bad depression and I felt very lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I remember like I was pretty I was I was a menace like that entire summer after my freshman year. <laughs> like I I just felt awful and I didn't like Aww. know why my parents don't like they they're more understanding now but like they didn't suggest therapy. They didn't like suggest any kind of help they just told me like suck it up you know people are dying people like have it way worse than you and I remember one day like I just broke down in tears and I was like mom dad like I don't feel okay like I like I'm I had gained a lot of weight I was staying I couldn't sleep like everything just felt awful and hopeless and um yeah after that time that I was honest with them I felt like I was just able to get so much off my shoulders and after that like I I just wanted to continue to be that way like I I just never wanted to felt that summer feeling again so I, ever since that like I just have been trying to push that and but I I just think that in Latin cultures it's very sometimes shameful to like share those feelings like I remember when I told my parents I was like I think I'm depressed they were like no you're not like <laughs> you, you, you just had a like weird thing happen but like people have it worse you know and like my mom didn't want to tell my grandparents what was going on they knew that I wasn't feeling good but she didn't want to admit that so yeah I feel like that's something I definitely would like to have a bigger conversation in Latin communities about because it's mental health is so important and I feel like it's still very kind of you know, uh, just not okay there. So, yeah. Well, I think especially for those of us who have immigrant parents, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and I completely agree with the Latin side of things, but I would say even outside of our culture or in, in my case, my mother's culture and part of my culture, um, because my dad is a white dude, <laughs> big old white guy. <laughs> um, yeah, there's just the like, I came here to this country. I It was so hard for me to make a new life here. All the sacrifices I made. And what about you? Like, like in my case, I was born here, right? I was raised here entirely. And it, it can be hard when things turn into the oppression olympics yeah even if that's not what your family who loves you wants it to feel like that's mm -hmm. what it ends up being <laughs> yeah they don't mean it but i think it definitely is just a constant reminder even if they're not doing anything to imply that i feel like 
my parents are immigrants too. Like we moved back to the United States when I was 12 and both of my parents have very good jobs. Both of my parents have friends. All my family's in Mexico. So I watched them leave all of that behind to give my sister and I a better education and a safer environment. Because the part that I lived in Mexico back in 2010 during the drug war was just awful. And even if they don't do anything that reminds me that they left that, like I still carry this burden that like, my mom doesn't see her parents as often as she did. My mom does not have the work that she used to have because I'm here. So I feel like any time that I have a day off, like I'm wasting time because (laughs) my parents sacrificed so much for me to be here. And now I've left, like they're in Texas, I'm here in New York. So now it's just a bigger reminder at like, they have done so much to get me where I need to be. They have provided for me. Even if they have not said anything, I'm still shaking. And I'm like, what can I do to be productive today and not waste this life that they have given me? And so, yeah, like, but I totally hear you. They, there has been so many moments where I'm reminded that I am here because they left a lot and sacrificed a lot. And I'm very grateful for that. And I'm trying my best to make the most of it. Yeah, well, I can tell just by what you bring to your acting that you're serious, yeah. <laughs> you're focused, I'm right? Trying, yeah. So, on that note, what kinds of stories appeal to you as an actress? I it's really funny. All throughout my educational training, I was always told that I was going to do more comedic stuff. I was always <laughs> I'd like, yeah, they I was just told I have a good sense of Uh, timing and that I am good with my physicality so I always thought that that was the direction I was going to end up in but all of the work I've done has been more serious stuff I feel like I haven't done I'm I'm desperate for a comedy because I'm like I'm so scared of these feelings I've had but um yeah I did Ophelia right before I came here I was in Macbeth like it's just but um I'm very grateful for that because I did not think that I had it in me to lead dramas and tell stories that are harder for both audience and performers to engage in but um yeah that it's been really cool to do kind of more serious stuff um I definitely love telling stories that have to do with my culture this piece that we're working on now is my first show in New York that I've done that has to do with my culture and that's been really fun and healing to do. I hadn't done a Latin play in a very long time. And I felt like the first time I did it, which was at OU, it was just a very tokenized piece because Mm. they just wanted, they wanted to give the students that hadn't had, that weren't white basically, um, something to kind of shut us up about because we had not been cast at all. So it was nice to do something that I felt like was uplifting the performers and not just kind of throwing a bone at us because we were, you know, not getting cast. So, yeah, but I I really just want to tell all kinds of stories. Like, I love doing Shakespeare. I think that's really cool. But I also, I do want to do a comedy. If I had a better singing voice, I would love to do musicals. (laughs) Maybe I can train some more and do that. I just saw Harry Potter last night with my family and the Cursed Child. I feel like that would be so cool just for the special effects. So, yeah, I want to tell all kinds of stories. Um, I just think that that's such a cool way to connect with other people. And, yeah. What were some of the plays you did in college? In college, I I had a pretty... Educational theater left me pretty burnt out. Um, (laughs) Yeah, both OU and the high school I went to were very... very, They were very white institutions, um, both professors and students. 
So I didn't get cast um, basically at all. And the few roles I did were just because, you know, they had kind of started to crack down on students getting neglected. Um, and so I did a... I'm sorry, I just want to stop for a moment and say, like, that's, that must have been so painful. It was. By the time I graduated, I was pretty ready to quit. Like, I, I in high school, um, we did Hamlet. And I got told by my professor, like, she can't put Mexicans in Denmark. And so... No! Yeah, no, that's not even the worst I've had. Like, that was, like... And so playing Ophelia, like, all these years later, like, that was kind of a full circle moment for me. Because I, I remember... Good. <laughs> like, it, when, when you're in an educational setting and, and you want so badly to fit in and you want, you're paying money for these people who are supposed to know better and are supposed to take care of you you believe what they say. So I remember she said that to me and I was like, that makes perfect sense. There, Why would a Mexican be in Denmark, you know? And now I look back and I want to just hold my high school self and be like, that was not okay. But I know why you thought it was, you know? And I know that you wanted to believe that she knew what she was doing. Um, and, and college was the same way. I spent most of my college years um, really educating the professors instead of being mm. educated by them because it was OU, I, I boomer sooner, but it's a very um, old school classic mentality of let's only study Beckett and Arthur Miller and all these white guys. And they're scared, I think, to accept that the world is changing and that they are no longer, you know, the focus on story, in, in storytelling, you know? Um, yeah, I love when the diversity, quote unquote, on a college college syllabus is like one play by one white woman yeah. who still went to an Ivy League school. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was really messed up. Oh, you like, yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for you because all of my peers, I feel like, were very good to me and they helped me like with my connections. But the school itself. I think has a lot of work that it needs to do. Um, so then tell me about Oklahoma Shakespeare. How did you get hooked up with them? They had a really good relationship with the University of Oklahoma. And so uh, I was constantly auditioning for them. And there was a man there, bless his heart, his name's Tyler Woods. And he just believed in me. And I, I wasn't getting cast at school, but he cast me in one of his shows. And after that, like, I just never stopped working with them throughout my time in Oklahoma. I just did one show with him and he just took me in his care and I think he I think he knew that I was having a hard time. We never spoke about it, but I, I think he could just tell because it, it was just so crazy. I remember like when I if it were for Oklahoma Shakespeare, by the time I graduated college, my resume was bare, you know. I didn't wow. really have any college credits or school credits for myself you know um and so I got to do a lot of work with them and how they, many years was that I started working with them in 2020 right as the pandemic started and I left OU 2022 so two years but I did quite a few shows with them and I understudied and I worked behind the scenes and I I would go back and do another show with them because they were just so special to me yeah they kept calling me back and they kept offering me stuff and believing in me and yeah it's just they're very special to me I talked to Tyler actually uh opening night for our show because he he called me he congratulated me and he's just been very good to me 
Yeah, he sent an email because I had contacted them. I noticed it was actually Fiamma first who noticed Oklahoma Shakespeare on your resume. And we were very impressed because not many people who have just finished college can say, yes, I was in, you know, whatever regional Shakespeare theater production more than once and especially in a lead role. And yeah, when we started putting out all the press and I was emailing 10,000 people, I made sure to email them to make, just so they knew, like, look, this is what their hometown girl, quote unquote, is doing. Mm -hmm. That's so sweet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I left, um, I think Hamlet closed like the day I moved out of Oklahoma, like, or the day before. And they gave me such like a nice send off and they're, they've just been so good to me. So yeah, I felt like if it weren't for Tyler and Oklahoma Shakespeare, I, I, honestly might have quit acting Hmm. like after college because it was just it was a mess and I felt like uh I felt like I had no tools in my little actor basket from college to kind of help me go into the real world and everything I feel like I've learned has been through them so I feel very grateful for them Hmm. yeah well I'm happy all that happened because yeah that all of that at school sounds like a nightmare and I can relate to some extent. (laughs) Yeah, and I feel like that's, like, at the beginning, like, as much as a lot of the college stuff was really, like, hard, I felt like if I hadn't had that kind of, like, rejection and that kind of environment where I realized that I have to speak up for myself and I have to, you know, call out what isn't right, I felt like I, I wouldn't be the person I am today. In high school, I was very much so, like, not confrontational yeah. and anything that was said to me I just I, it's water off my back you know I'm not gonna say anything but in college whenever something was said that I was uncomfortable by or that wasn't okay I was the first person to say something and I feel like and I was always told by my professors that I was like hard to work with and I was like I'm not hard to work with you just don't like that you know you can't say certain things in front of me because I am going to say something yeah so and now I feel like I'm very good at speaking up for myself and others and kind of taking more leadership positions and I think it's helped my confidence a lot too yeah and it's especially important to be that way in life as a woman as a woman of color and even more so in New York City and even more so in a super competitive industry like theater. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't speak up for yourself, no one else is going to do it the vast majority of time. Exactly. Most people are not looking out for you, unfortunately. Yeah. That's, and I had to learn that the hard way. Um, but I'm glad I did. Yeah. So what are some of the best experiences you've had in New York in the past year? Things that really get you excited and and make you feel grateful. Mm -hmm. I was so grateful. By the time I moved here, a lot of my best friends already lived here. Um, Like two blocks from me, too, I moved to Washington Heights, which I was always excited about as a Latina woman, you know. I was like, Washington Heights, you know. So (laughs) that made me really excited. That was a very, like, full circle moment to me. My family's come to see me in, like, the shows I've been in. So having my abuelos up here in New York City like that is just so wild to me you know because not only am I realizing my dream but like now I get to share that with them and they get to see me like performing like New York stages um I saw Taylor Swift in May which I've never (laughs) seen her before and that felt so cool um 
my partner now, he's from Rhode Island, and I've never, like, New York is definitely the farthest up this coast that I've been, but now that I'm dating him, I go to Rhode Island all the time, and I do, like, Rhode Island things like clamming. (laughs) um, Could you explain what clamming is? Yeah, so you basically go in the water, and (laughs) um, you're just putting your feet in the sand and kind of feeling about, kind of scuffling a bit until you feel something, whether it's a rock, but it's probably a clam. And then you can either scoop it up with your toes or dive in and pick it up and then you cook him and you have a great meal. So yeah. Um, So I do a lot of that and that's been really cool too, to like kind of get out of the city and do that. But there's just so many moments that I'm here and I'm, I, I just take it all in. I can't believe it. Like when I'm on the NQR going from Manhattan to Brooklyn and it goes like above the bridge. So you're just seeing the whole Manhattan skyline. Those are moments where I'm like, wow, like I can't believe I'm here. And walking through Central Park is also very soul feeding for me. So, yeah, there is a lot of stuff. that I just I just love this city so much for it. What are you hoping for in the next year? And next year, I want to hopefully continue to make art and um, make connections. I feel like I've met some really cool people this year through the shows I've done. Um, Like you and Fiamma, like I feel so honored that I get to like have two like badass, (laughs) badass lady folk. Yeah. Yeah, Fiona doesn't like saying the word, but oh, well, I mean, she's she's a badass, you know. She is. So it, it feels so cool now. Like I know you, you know, a couple months ago, but now I do, and I get to read your stuff, and I get to like, you know. So that's all very exciting for me. So I want to continue to do that. I want to continue to explore more parts in the um, Upper East Coast. I feel like that's really cool. Um, yeah, I, I I'm just really excited to explore more things in New York. Yay! Well, I'm excited for you. Thank you. I've been here seven years now, but I'm remembering what going into year two was like. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I I just now like have my feet on the ground, and I like you know my parents were here this past week, and they like completely redid my room because um, it, it it needed some stuff. I didn't have curtains. I didn't have. <laughs> they came in and they completely redid everything. They hung up some. I have some paintings that my abuelo did. So now I can say his art is hanging up in New York City. Um, so yeah, they they helped me, and now I feel very good going into year two. I love that you have his paintings. Where what are they of? Like the subjects? He does everything. Like he does <laughs> fruit. He does animals. Um, and he's such a great artist. The ones I have in my room, I have a landscape of this water, and there's like a bunch of cherry blossoms. And I have another one that's a. I took that right off his wall in his house. I was like, I'm sorry, Grandpa. I love this so much. And it's of a parakeet, and it's like with its mouth open, squawking, and there's a bunch <laughs> of like Mexican art in the picture. And it's, yeah, it's my favorite one. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Mexico and let's talk about Texas a little bit. Speaking of paintings, speaking of grandparents, right? So where did you grow up? How did you grow up? I was born in El Paso, Texas. I didn't live there for very long. Um, my family moved us back to Mexico when I was pretty young. So that's where my grandparents were. Um, it was after my dad's dad passed away that my parents realized that we didn't really have a place in the U.S. You know, their families in Mexico. Why are we there? You know, my sister and I were Mexican. They wanted us to learn Spanish and they wanted us to be close to our family. 
So I lived in Nuevo León um, for all my time in Mexico, and it was really nice. I had my mom's parents just like two hours away. My dad's family wasn't that far either. So yeah, that was really, really cool, and I miss it a lot. Um, the food was great. I remember I had lovely friends. Um, I didn't do that much theater there, but um, you know, I was a young kid, so I, I, I remember my dad is very sporty. He was very <laughs> athletic throughout his whole life. So I did a lot of sports because he wanted an athletic child. Um, so I did basketball and soccer and volleyball. None of it stuck. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I did a lot of that. Um, and then we moved to the United States in 2010 um, to did, San Antonio. And did that feel like a shock or no? Yeah, it was a pretty big shock. Um, I felt like for my parents, more so than my sister and I, I remember they did a lot to help us assimilate. Um, and there was some stuff that I felt a little bit lost on. Like the biggest things were when I moved here, a pop culture, I felt like I did not really understand. I remember people would ask me like, did you see that So Raven last night? And I had no idea what they were talking about. And um, <laughs> my mom, I remember, she was so embarrassed when my sister and I would go to school because she would pick us up and she felt like all of our clothes were very Mexican compared to mm. the other kids. I remember like my first month in the US, she took us to like Abercrombie and like spent like $500 on like each of us. Because wow. She, yeah, because she felt like this was like the right thing to do to get us to fit in. Cause that's what she saw the other kids wearing you know so she did that my parents like looked up things that american kids do and i got sent to sea world camp um my what first is year. that it's basically a summer camp but at sea world this is pre-blackfish so <laughs> um yeah could you tell listeners who might not know what blackfish is blackfish is a documentary on sea world the theme park where they like keep the killer whales and dolphins and it's just not very humane but um yeah so it just kind of exposes that but when we went to SeaWorld camp it was like a lot of burgers and you got to sleep in the aquarium and go backstage so we thought America was great we were like, this is so cool um so yeah I did that um so yeah that was a pretty big shock I remember the to kind of tie theater in a bit when I was in Mexico I did do a bit of theater and I was always told I had an American accent hmm. and so I still got cast but I, I I always struggle with my accent they were like you sound too American so when I moved to the United States I was like perfect like I'm not going to get told this anymore and, I, and then, then immediately I was told oh you have a very strong Latin accent oh my God. so I felt like I never belonged anywhere and that was very kind of hard. I feel like still to this day I get kind of self-conscious about the way I talk just because it's just been something that's pointed out to mm -hmm. me throughout my entire life so now I just don't know what I sound like but um you know and it's one of those things where you feel like you don't belong in either you know because you get told that you're not enough in this culture and you're not enough in that one so yeah I was happy to move <laughs> to the U.S. but um there was a lot of stuff that was just so different and shocking and yeah, but I was also so young, so I felt like it wasn't too hard to kind of figure it out. What kind of school did you go to in Mexico? Private Catholic school. Okay, I, I had a was, feeling. Yeah, <laughs> and then I went to a public, just American high school. So that was a lot, too. <laughs> yeah. For my mom, assimilation for her in some ways, well, for everyone, it's tough, I'm sure, but... Um, 
the toughest thing for her, I think, was trying to maintain some of her Catholic values mm -hmm. with her ideas about women's rights. Because yeah. one of the reasons why she left El Salvador uh, when she met my dad and had the opportunity to do so was she wanted to live in a place where women had maybe not equality, but more equitable life, aware abortion is when she moved here was legal, right? right. Everywhere. Um, when she moved here, it was just a standard that girls go to school. Yeah. And where she's from, it's not necessarily like that. And some girls, if they do go to school, get pulled out right around their quince because, okay, you're a little woman now. It's time for you to get married. <laughs> time for you to have children. Um, yeah, so it was just this balancing act for her of wanting to have some of these Catholic Latin traditions that were by American standards more conservative while at the same time making sure that she had daughters who went to school, who mm -hmm. went to college, who had careers. Yeah. Um, and it was really hard for her to negotiate. I think she's still in a process. And now that I'm an adult <laughs> and we've had conversations that never would have happened when I was a teenager, mm -hmm. yeah. I have a better understanding of some of the decisions that she made mm -hmm. when I was a kid about things like sex education, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious if, I mean, it sounded like with your mom going to Abercrombie that she was really like, okay, you're gonna be American. Yeah. But were there certain questions or challenges where you saw your parents struggling like, God, do we do it like how we were raised or we do we do it like this is what they're doing in the U.S.? Mm -hmm. This is what they're doing at their school. Yeah, I think the clothing stuff was the only thing that my mom was willing to like budge on. Everything else, my parents, I think the thing that they told me the most growing up is we're going to raise our children the way we want and you raise them the way you want because they they stuck so hard to their Catholic Mexican values. Another thing my mom says all the time is we're Mexican and I, this is how we do it. Like this past week <laughs> they invited my partner out for dinner, but they wanted to have dinner at 3 PM because that's, they, they like eating so early. And I remember my partner was like, it's kind of early for dinner. And I was, and my mom goes, well, that's how we do it in Mexico. <laughs> I was like, okay, thanks mom. So yeah, that was, they definitely, they're both, diehard Catholics and they like everything I did growing up was around that like I did not have a sex education um, both in middle school and high school you needed the permission slip signed to take those classes and my mom did not do that um, so it wasn't like until halfway through high school that one of my friends was like do you know uh, what how sex works Andy and I was like yeah yeah you know you just did like no that's not <laughs> oh no yeah. so I was pretty, I, I know why they did it, like, I, because I, that's just how they were raised and that's what they, but I mean, I, I, like they said, I felt like with, if I have kids, like, I am gonna, like, you know, so, but I, I don't have any, like, resentment towards that. I feel like that's just what they thought was best. Um, they both definitely like going about, you know, church and the Bible and, if something's happening, both of my parents were like, pray about it, you know? Like, just, that that's, like, always their first suggestion. Um, if I get married, I know that if I want them there, it has to be through the Catholic Church, you know? It doesn't matter if I want that. That's just what I'm going to have to do. Um, and stuff like that, I don't mind, you know? If, if, if it makes my 
Abuelita happy to see me get married in a church, then who am I to deny her that? <laughs> so, yeah, um, they definitely did everything that the way that they were raised and the way that they saw. Like, I, there's still some stuff that even now, I'm 25 years old. I live, I've lived in a different state from them for the last six years. But there's still stuff that they're like, mija, you know? Like, I, my, they look up my location 24-7 all the time. My sister will text me. She's like, dad knows you're not home right now. And I'm like, I'm at a party. What <laughs> Am I supposed to ask for permission? You don't live here. You're an hour behind. And like, if I'm at my partner's house and it's getting late, my mom will be like, when are you going home? Like, oh, my goodness. Like, you're in Texas, lady. I'm in New York. Um, so they are very um, strict. But I know that it's all from a place of love. And like, they tell me all the time, like, when you have a kid, you're going to realize like how important it is to like, know where they are and like so stuff like that I'm like I understand yeah I still deal with some of that too yeah but yeah I I think negotiating boundaries is something I'm still learning how to do and I don't know like I I think some of these rules have softened Mm -hmm. especially as my parents get older and my dad you know my mom gets further and further from her culture and and my dad will say like I've been married and now divorced right Mm -hmm. (laughs) my dad will remind her of that which to my mom is like she's gotten over it but of course at the beginning it was a big shock and she was very upset uh, because he was Catholic, so that was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you had it in the bag. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. You did it right. And then, um, but especially now that that has happened, my relationship with my mother especially has changed because she sees, okay, some of these boundaries and some of these rules that I had for you when you were 15 or, or 25 can't be what they are now. Yeah. They have to change. Mm-hmm. I know, and they're not happy about it. You can tell, but they're trying their best. That's how my parents are. They, they're, they're trying their best to accept it, but it's still going to be a conversation. Yeah. Hmm. I want to hear about your grandparents and their influence on you. They, all of my abuelas and my abuelitos have, have the biggest place in my heart. They've all been so supportive. Um, my dad's mom... She, her name is Luchi, and I've always had such a close relationship with her, especially because my grandfather passed away when I was so young. Hmm. So I've always called her Abuelita Extreme because she always, yeah, she just does, like, really, like, adventurous stuff. Like, my dad would take us to go, like, swim with, like, dolphins or, like, you know, go hiking, and my grandma was always there, and she was always doing it with us. So, and, yeah, we've just always had a very playful um, relationship, um, since my grandpa passed away so young, I felt like um, I spent a lot of, like, my childhood trying to find my grandma boyfriend. And so, like, I would just point at, like, guys in the street and I'd be like, Grandma, that's your boyfriend. <laughs> and one time I was with her. Uh, we were in a different – I think we were in France because one of my uncles lives in Europe. And, fancy. Okay. Know, pretty fancy. Um, <laughs> but we were in France, and um, there was this guy, and he had this big bouquet of flowers on the train. And I turned to my grandma, and I was like, Grandma, that's your, in Spanish, I was like, that's your boyfriend. He got you those flowers, thinking the guy does not speak Spanish. And the guy turned to us, and he goes, yeah, they're for my girlfriend. And he gave my grandma some flowers. Aww. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. I was like, I can't believe you understood me. So, yeah, I've always been very, like, 
playful with her. And then my mom's parents, they're a little bit more serious than my dad's mom, but they are still the most lovable human beings in the whole world. They both, um, when I moved to New York, they gave me quite a bit of money and they were like, we've saved this up our whole lives. Um, wow. And we always wanted to leave it to like our grandchildren and we're giving it to you now. And that just like broke me down because I was like, before I was even born, they were saving this money. And wow. the fact that they just like believed in me and my dream, that just like, they've just always taken so much care of me. So yeah, like my grandpa's and ours, my mom, they're both teachers, mm. but my grandfather's been painting since he was so young. And so, like, his art means so much to me. And he teaches art or he teaches something else? No, they both teach, like, social studies. Mm. Um, they're retired now, but they, that's what they taught. He's just, that's just something he did as a hobby. I remember growing up, like, in the house, there were just always these paintings around us. And it's just something he loves doing. So, yeah, and then my mom's mom is just the sweetest. She's also so emotional like me. Um, we're both Pisces. And so, <laughs> yeah, she's just someone that I love talking to. And I call I call my grandparents every single day. I call them on my way here. It's just so important to me to talk to them and to let them know how I'm doing. And, yeah, like, when they came to New York, they were very much so, like, also being as strict as parents are, like, they go on the subway and they're like, you do this by yourself? Like, yeah, yeah, but it's okay. Like, I don't want you to worry. But, you know, they still worry. And so uh, I sometimes have to, like, be sneaky. And if I'm, like, working later that day, like a closing shift, and I talk to them, I tell them that I worked an earlier shift so they don't worry that I'm on the subway late. But, they're yeah, all my grandparents just mean so much to me. So doing this show has just – it's been so – touching to kind of like think back on like what my grandparents have played um in my life and yeah they've just always been so good to me that's beautiful so for listeners who might not be familiar with the show and also just for me I'm curious how would you describe or explain what Mi Abuela Queen of Nightmares is to me Mi Abuela the Queen of Nightmares is really a story about a girl who is not only navigating, you know, being a mixed child without a father. It's it's a story about, like, generational trauma and what happens when those conversations don't happen and when, when we kind of get so lost in ourselves and our grief. Um, I've always been very blessed to have a very, like, deep and loving relationship with my mom, but I, I think um, there is just a lot that can be lost on a young woman if she does not have that figure to look up to. And I think that Mi Abuela, Queen of Nightmares is about when you lose those women that you're supposed to look up to, especially in Latin culture. I feel like there is so much of my mom that I my heart breaks for her because I feel like there's just so much that Latino women have to put up with. And I just think that she's so strong. And so when you don't have like a strong figure, I think it can be very easy to be lost as a child and as a young teen and, and as an adult. So I think it's just kind of figuring out like your place in the world, but also just kind of working through that family dynamic and not only like your relationship with your mom, but how her relationship with hers unfolded and how it's now affected this chain and maybe like I like to think that like if Maya had a child that like she like stopped that like chain of like trauma and like you know like she's gonna create like 
the relationship and affection that child needs. So, yeah. A plus. <laughs> I always enjoy hearing other people summarize or explain something that I've made. I don't know if you like have that interest in hearing, like if you do a play or a film and just hearing what people thought it was about. Yeah, I, I've loved my friend's interpretation. A lot of them, I did not give them like any context about what it was about. And so I had a friend tell me that she felt like the owl was like a connection between the real world and the spiritual world um, because the owl would like come in and like, you know, leave postcards from the mom the way we directed it. I felt like that was a really cool um, interpretation because I felt like a lot of this play, you know, it is a memory play. So it is really cool to kind of see it as like a being that's going between Maya's memories and then now the storytelling to the audience. So yeah, I have really liked, I do really like hearing what other people think. That's a great interpretation. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> huh. And I really like, I think also, since I worked with Shakespeare so much, it it was really cool to kind of have this, your language is very Shakespearean to me. Because um, <laughs> it is very poetical and it's very, the way that Maya tells stories, it's, it's heightened language, but it's also just very, I think, lyrical and almost, I don't want to say romanticized, but there is something just so elegant about the way that she phrases these awful things that have happened to her. She makes sounds so beautiful because the language is just so, yeah, it, it's just very nice. <laughs> Thanks. I wasn't looking for it, but I'll take it. <laughs> no, I really like it. I think that, I think that also, because I feel like this story could be very different if it's, you know, since she's a younger girl at the beginning of the play, if it's like told by the way that like a child kind of talks, you know, mm -hmm. my, I've, I, I love working with children and I nanny quite a bit. So I, I've seen the way they talk and I think that this would be a completely different show if it was kind of taken in that, you know, direction. So, yeah. Yeah, I write so many different kinds of things and so many different voices and it fascinates me that you and Fiamma both said it. Uh, when Fiamma was getting ready for our callbacks and she was trying to just like quickly explain to each actor what the play was and what the tone was, she said, yeah, it's like Shakespeare. For everyone who came for the callback for Maya, it was, yeah, it's like Shakespeare. Say it like it's Shakespeare. And for almost everyone that clicked, mm -hmm. they understood what she meant by that. You know, there were a couple who was like, right. okay, <laughs> maybe we're not speaking the same yeah. like theatrical language. Mm -hmm. um, I am curious what attracts you to Shakespeare. I think the biggest thing, one, was that it was told a lot that I couldn't do it because I was a woman of color and it was always going towards like the white students. You know, Jesus. like when I played, uh, I had that thing happen in high school with Ophelia, but then when I uh, did it again in college um, or after college, I had already booked the role. It was probably like my sixth production with Oklahoma Shakespeare, but I ran into one of my old professors at OU at, huh. uh, or from OU and she didn't know that I had already booked it. And she came up to me and she was like, oh, like, are you doing another show with Oklahoma Shakespeare? I was like, yeah, I auditioned for Hamlet. I didn't say anything because the cast list wasn't out. But she was like, well, I heard that so-and-so, a white girl, was is going to be Ophelia. And it just felt so good that I, I didn't say anything, but I was like, man, like, that good for her. I'm so, <laughs> like, 
I'm sure she'll be great, you know? So, um, and, you know, just getting to walk away knowing that, like, I can't wait to see a look on your face when you find out that it's me, you know? Oh, my God. Yeah. Priceless. Um, yeah, and it's, I think, like, just being told that, like, I couldn't do it because I had an accent and the language was too complicated for me was just uh, what motivated me even more to want to do it and to want to understand it and learn it. And now that I have done a couple shows, I just really appreciate the kind of groundwork that he has set for playwriting for the rest of time and how many different stories have like come out from his original works, you know, like I, it's, I feel like kind of a nerd, but like when I'm like watching like The Lion King or like West Side Story and I'm like, that's how I connect to Shakespeare, you know, like, <laughs> so, that's really cool. Um, but yeah, I, and I, it, yeah, I think the biggest thing that first attracted me to him was that no one believed I could do it. So I was mm. like, I'm just going to show you that I can. And yeah. I'm going to do it well. I'm not yeah. just going to do it. I'm going to do a very good job. So you can see that women of color and deserve to be in these roles too. I think that was my biggest problem with OU was they did a lot of uh, shows that they wanted to be historically accurate was always the word that they used. So that was always my biggest thing as I was like, you don't cast the students of color because it's not historically accurate but what yeah. is historically like what does it matter in 2022 if you have a white girl or a brown girl in radium girls you know it's a play yeah. about girls that you know died while working so what does it matter you know and that was always the biggest i think clash between me and ou is they just didn't really want to get on board with that mentality and so it just motivated me to show them why they should because the rest of the world is moving on and doing it so they should too yeah and so many of those classics obviously were written at a time of segregation even and intense discrimination legal discrimination where it was out in the open and obvious not as much as like today where a lot of things are more social right it's yeah. more social discrimination not necessarily legal discrimination that exists but it's yeah. not to the same extent oh, so yeah no i i am endlessly frustrated <laughs> and i think that's a big problem in the arts in general it's not just theater mm -hmm. um it's for movies too it's for art yeah. it's for uh architecture even i used wow. to do a lot of work for an architecture preservation organization whose name I will not mention <laughs> right here but there was a lot of no we can't we can't renovate this building this particular way because in 1927 it was done by this and by a group of European descent blah 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 like it's a building yeah. yo like anyone lives in a building not even alive <laughs> yeah they don't care <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear about film and video work or interests of yours. I have done quite a bit. Um, I have a, a bit of background stuff. Oklahoma actually became a very big film hub by the time I'm leave, I left. Um, after COVID, uh, you know, it's very expensive to kind of film in California, like places that follow COVID rules, but in a red state like Oklahoma, they don't follow COVID rules. So I felt like a lot of film productions came to that state because it was a lot cheaper film there. So they, by the time I left, um, Sylvester Stallone was filming um, Tulsa King. They have that Hulu show 
reservation dogs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's all in Oklahoma. And, like, I worked very closely with Chris Freihofer, who was also another great mentor of mine. He believed in me, too, and gave me opportunities that OU didn't. But, um, yeah, so I did quite a bit of film there. And did just, you do anything with reservation dogs? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. I, I, I was I was too focused with Oklahoma Shakespeare. I've always enjoyed theater more than film. Mm. I definitely am not one to say no to a film audition. You know, money's nicer there. Yes. <laughs> so who am I to turn that down? Um, but I've always just enjoyed how present you have to be in theater. And I felt like in film a lot, especially in my film classes that I took, for me, I'm very much someone that lives in my head. And I get insecure very easily. And so sometimes in film, you know, they call cut and they start over and it has nothing to do with you. It's the lighting <laughs> or it's, you know, like there was a plane going over. But I always but what did I me. do? Yeah. What did I do? <laughs> I always think like having to do the same performance over and over again, like it, it loses its meaning to me. And I feel like I'm no longer giving something that's real. I'm just trying to either recreate what I've already done or I'm just, yeah, so... Theater, the fact that, like, you know, it's live, it's it's happening whether you like it or not, like, you, like that's, <laughs> yeah, that's always been something that feels a lot more comfortable for me as a performer. Um, but, yeah, I do. My mom has, like, all of her dreams for me are, like, she wants me to be on SNL and she wants me to, you know, so she definitely wants me to do a lot of film. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what I do. I have my agent right now. She's very, um, she's very kind. She thinks I'm like very good at like commercial stuff. So I've had a lot of commercials like this past year, for like dog food brands and sportswear, and that's been really fun. I think it, I think you can have a lot of fun in those auditions. <laughs> what do you think is different about acting in a commercial than acting in a play? I think in a I think it's a little more cheesy in a yeah. commercial, you know. Like I, there's been so many auditions where I just have to, you know, smile on camera. And you know, I had one audition where all they sent me was, "We just want to see how good you cry." And so, <laughs> yeah, I just sat in front of camera and did that. But I think acting in a play, um, the biggest difference is like you're not only present with yourself; you have to be present with happening around you you know you have to give your partners as much and like actually listen to them in the commercial I feel like it's just trying to engage with the camera but you you want to engage with the other human being because we're trying to replicate human behavior and you can't do that if you're not listening actively to your partner and you know really just being in it with them hmm where do you think you learned presence um, I think I learned that through my human relationships. Um, I think especially, I, I, I feel like I have not been as close to my family as I would like to be since I've always lived so far away. So I think my friendships and romantic relationships have taught me the most about being present, especially my romantic ones. Um, I feel like in high school, I also lacked a lot of self-confidence, um, and so now, like, being able to, like, meet a new, another human being and, like, try to connect with them, I feel like that has taught me a lot about, like, being present, not only, like, for yourself, but, like, for someone else. Like, because I know that, like, when I'm with someone, I want to feel seen and I want to feel heard. And so I feel like I try very hard in my relationships, both romantic and not, to 
make whoever I'm with feel like they're safe and that they're, you know, taken care of if they want to share anything. I feel like a lot of my friends always tell me that, like, I ask, are you okay, a lot. Um, (laughs) And I know that it can be annoying, but I think it's just something I do because I, same way that I want to feel like if I need something that I'm going to get it, I want other people to feel that way too. Hmm. Beautiful. Okay, I want to back up to industry stuff. Is there something that you want to change for the theater industry now? Yeah, um, <laughs> same, same. I feel like my biggest goal in college was to just make the environment better for the next Latina that comes in. That was always my biggest, like, I feel like I could have saved myself so many tears and trouble if I had just not said anything. Hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, everything I did was because I would see the girls that would come audition on campus, and I wanted them to have a better experience than what I had. So I want to make this uh, the kind of place, especially in educational settings, because I feel like so much of my life could have changed depending on how that went. I just want to make that an environment to where people no longer have to feel like they have to make a choice of doing what's right and not saying anything because now you're hard to work with or now you're not going to get cast and roles are sacrificed. So I just I just want this to be a more acceptable community and one where people feel safe in. All right, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't? No, I felt like this was so healing. I feel like this was a therapy session. Um, I felt very heard. So I told you I wanted to feel, so thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy that I met you, and I'm so happy that you're in the show. Dear listeners or viewers, whether you are watching on Manhattan Neighborhood Network or listening on Radio Free Brooklyn, I'm your host, Christine Stoddard. My guest on this episode was Andy Fuentes. You've been watching or listening The Badass Lady Folk. Find us on all of the million different platforms that are out there, and tune in next time. <laughs>